Hello and welcome to our podcast Hashtag Divorce with Audrey Zetoun, divorce coach based in London, and myself, Sarah Jane Taster, French family lawyer practicing in international law in England and Hong Kong. In our podcast Hashtag Divorce, we will be bringing you hope, positivity, as well as practical information about divorce and well-being, food for thoughts, and hopefully support to help you move forward at each and every step of the divorce process. If you would like to know more about what we do when we're not doing this podcast, you can go to our websites, lasterfamilylaw.co.uk and audreyzcoaching.com. Back to today's topic. So today we will be talking about a difficult subject in international family law, which is the one of stuck parents, relocation of children and child abduction. To walk us through the subject, we are joined by Ros Osborne, who is the founder and CEO of Global Arc, a UK charity founded in 2012 and registered in 2016, and which is the only charity specializing in helping stuck parents. So I found Global Arc on Facebook a few months ago and immediately thought of all the clients it could benefit, and then more generally of all the people living abroad and stuck there who could really benefit from the support provided by Global Arc. So as international lawyer and for Audrey International Divorce Coach, we are often working with clients dealing with the difficulty of having to relocate and finding themselves stuck. The country that had become home over the years and which used to be a happy place during the marriage or the relationship has now become a prison they want to escape but cannot without often having to leave their children behind. So as well as being grateful for the work you do, Roz, and with your charity, we would also like to raise awareness so that parents who are in a situation where they are stuck in a country at the other side of the world or separated from their children know where to turn. Yes, and during this, during this episode, Rose will explain how her charity can assist people stuck anywhere in the world. So Rose, thank you so much for agreeing to come and talk on our podcast today. Maybe can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and about Global Arc? Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. And you're absolutely right. Um, I loved your summary um, and introduction there. It's such an important issue that people just don't know about. And any parent living abroad or considering moving abroad really needs to know about this before they go. And if they do become stuck, then it's really important that they have the correct advice at that point. So yeah, thank you. My name's Ros Osborne. Um, I live in Bath near, near Bristol with my two children. I lead the charity Global Arc and oversee the supporting of stuck parents, not just in the UK, but all over the world. And in my spare time, I play the violin and I teach the violin and actually lead an orchestra as well. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty busy. I like to keep busy. Wow. So how did you come about setting up Global Arc? Okay, um, it was through a personal experience, basically, as often charities are often started because of a, a personal experience. I'd moved over to Portugal with my two children from the UK, so we're a British family, moved over to, to Portugal with the dream of having a, a quinta, which is a farm in Portugal and, and doing it up and having a, a growing vegetables and all of these things. Um, looking back on it, slightly naive, but at the time, you know, you're young, you have dreams. Anyway, so we moved to Portugal. Unfortunately, the relationship broke down 
and I needed to return with the children back home to England. And at that point, um, I was told that actually, no, legally speaking, I couldn't return back to England with the children. I had no idea that this could happen. And so I went on online to find out what the situation was and what help was available. And unfortunately, there was no help available. There's very little information online about being stuck in a, in a foreign country with your children and how to become unstuck, you know, how to get home. Because, of course, at the time, I actually, I, it was very, very difficult. I didn't have enough money to survive. I didn't have the support network of family and friends in Portugal. And it was very difficult to to get work. And actually, I didn't, I couldn't get work. So uh, the situation was that if I, if I couldn't survive in Portugal, then I would have to leave the children and come back to England on my own, which of course I was determined not to do. Um, as a mother, obviously, the idea of leaving your young children is the worst, absolute worst thing in the world. So at that point, I wanted to find out if there were any other mothers stuck in foreign countries in the same situation as me. So I started a Facebook page. Um, and in those days, it was called Expat Stuck Mums. <laughs> because that's how I felt, you know, I'm expat stuck mum. So I was absolutely shocked to receive messages, private messages from a hundred mums in the same situation as me all around the world. And I was thinking, well, why isn't this known about? Why does nobody know that you can become stuck? in a foreign country if you move abroad with your children. Um, so anyway, I thought, okay, let's carry on with the Facebook page. And it snowballed from there. I came home, I got permission from the family court in Portugal to return home with my children 10 years ago. So um, at that point, there were hundreds of mums in contact with me. <laughs> via the Facebook page and I thought what shall I do shall I carry this on or and I, I felt I couldn't abandon them because they were all in such dire situations um on their own you know suffering all these problems I think we'll talk later about those the specific problems mm. that people suffer but so I carried it on and then registered as an official charity in 2016. Mm. What a story mm. <laughs> <laughs> and your bravery as well to to do that. I want him to help. It's, it's, it's wonderful. And uh, well done for succeeding. In a, in I didn't match. feel I had much choice, actually, because <laughs> there was literally no, nothing else, no other organization supporting these parents. So I thought, well, if I don't do it, then they're not going to have that support. And mm -hmm. it is very rewarding to be able to be in that position where you completely understand somebody's situation. And over the years, we've obviously built up lots of resources to help. So we're able to help now. Mm. So it didn't exist before, uh, the help you provide. And are you? And now, um, can you tell us more exactly what Global Arc do then? What do you do? Yeah, so the primary thing we do is supporting stuck parents. And um, so we offer a free callback helpline for any stuck parent in the world. So usually uh, parents will get in contact via the, the website, um, which is www.globalarc.org. 
they can send us an email and we do have a contact form they can fill out, which is on the website. And then we give them a call anywhere in the world um, to find out what their situation is um, and how we can best help them and what they need. Then we can offer them legal information guides, which lays out in simple language um, international law. I don't know if you've heard of the Hague Convention on International Parental Child Abduction. So very long name, very complicated in some ways, but we try to simplify it so that the information is for parents to understand. We also have legal contacts. We can put them in in touch with all around the world so they get the best legal advice, which is what they need. They need specialist legal advice because the problem that we often see is that parents will go to their local family lawyer and for advice. And that local lawyer actually isn't a specialist in the international family law. And then they get wrong advice. So these legal contacts are invaluable, really. Um, They all all offer to do pro bono, a certain amount of pro bono support. They will all have a, a free initial phone call with the parent. We also have peer support groups and workshops that we offer specifically for stuck parents. So they they support each other, which is really invaluable. Um to find other people in the same situation and then share experience. Um, So that's, yeah. That's important because like we discussed before, I think the worst thing is feeling alone. Yeah. And being able to share with others who are in the same situation is invaluable. Totally. And yeah, I mean, just that, that empathy that you feel because when you're stuck in a foreign country, you can feel completely alone. And often when you speak to friends and family, they don't believe you. (laughs) Which sounds crazy, but they say, well, of course you can go home because you're all British or whatever. You're all French, but, but you can't, and you know, the international law won't allow it. Mm. So to have that validation from other parents is amazing. Um, So yes, we do all of that to support stuck parents. Um, We also raise awareness. So because there's a real lack of awareness on this issue, and we want to prevent it happening to other parents who are are deciding to move abroad or not. So um, we raise awareness by publishing information. Um, We've got our website. We work with media. We give talks and presentations, you know, at universities and so on. So we try to raise awareness and we also collect data because there's a real lack of understanding of the problem and how many people it affects and how it affects them. So we we have a survey and we try to collect statistics so that we can, again, raise awareness and maybe make um, improvements to the systems surrounding these parents. It's very difficult to change the law you know mm-hmm. but there's many many systems that can be improved and that that can benefit stuck parents so we want to 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 do that mm. there's very a lot of very interesting things in what you've just said first can can you um tell us more for those who don't know about the hate convention very briefly what should parents know about the hate convention So the Hague Convention was set up in 1980 initially to prevent non-custodial parents taking their children out of the country where they are living and taking them to a foreign country um, illegally, you know, so that's why it was set up. 
But these days, because there are so many families who move abroad, you know, so many expats, and then relationships obviously break down, as we all know. <laughs> yes. Um, these days, the Hague Convention is usually used, uh, usually invoked by, usually a father would invoke the convention um, to say the mother has taken our children to her home country. Mothers in this situation who are going through a Hague Convention proceeding usually say, um, a big percentage of them say that they have left the other country because of domestic abuse, you see. Mm. So um, it's a very complicated situation. And the law is, in my opinion, in my view, the law is struggling to keep up with this, to be honest, because um, in nearly every case, the mother's reporting that she's fled domestic abuse. And it's usually the, obviously the, um, the perpetrator of that abuse that has applied to use the Hague Convention to get the children returned to the, to the country where he's living. So it's a very complicated situation that expat families really need to be aware of because some of them are not aware, even though they've moved abroad, that they shouldn't take the children out of that country uh, because it would be against international law. Does that well, answer your question? Yeah, it, 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 I think it's important to say you mustn't leave the country without the other parents' assent, basically. Basically, yeah. they need permission um, mm. from the other parent before they take the child to live in another country. And that would be written p- permission. Yeah. Because and it would need to be shown as evidence if it did go to court. Because what is the the effect of the Hague Convention? It's to bring back the children to the country where they were initially living. Absolutely. The the country of what they call habitual residence. Mm -hmm. So that's where the child usually lives. It's a complicated term, habitual residence. We probably should get into it (laughs) because it's highly contestable in court because people argue, well, the habitual residence is actually here because they've lived here for seven months and they've gone to playgroup or, or, you know, and so there's there's a lot lot in that and um, judges disagree about how to define habitual residence. It's such a difficult, yeah, concept depending on the age of the children, on the, you know, when you have parents who are move expats who move every three years you know it it does become complicated another important thing that I found on your website is and that's what I in my work I try to uh, get clients to do is to get information before they leave um, Mm -hmm. especially expats Mm -hmm. Uh, like you were saying when you left for Portugal maybe you weren't informed as to what could happen because you don't think about those things when you leave uh, your your to, to for an adventure you don't see the negatives you just think oh everything's yeah. going to be fine Absolutely. Uh, and i like remember married isn't it when you yeah, get married exactly. you think everything's going to be obviously you're optimistic aren't you otherwise you yeah. wouldn't do it it's a bit like moving abroad you're optimistic and you think it's going to be wonderful but you'd be surprised how many people have problems in their marriage and then they think hey, let's move abroad. It's going to make everything better. We go live in the sun, you know, we have more time. But actually, being an expat puts all sorts of extra problems in the marriage. Often, you know, they do spend more time together. They don't have their fa- their friends that they normally, you know, spend time with. They don't have their family. Um, 
they might not speak the language. There's all sorts of extra pressures on couples that move abroad. Or when I see the example of where I was living in Hong Kong, life is so easy. You party all the time. Right. You have this new life and you tend to forget the other. You have your new friends. Yeah. And suddenly you realize that you both got on separate, separate uh, paths. With your partner. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So that you know, you can have. It's just, it's just that people need to. You know, I always say to my client, when you leave for to become an expat in another country, you're always happy when you have a good conditions mm. in your contract. You know, you know the house and this, right. but you never think about you know simple things like we would think in French, France, um, marriage contract or a prenup yeah. Yeah. or a will. I often say just a simple will, just to protect yourself. But it's exactly what I saw that on your website, you have a, one of the guides that you have is before leaving, what you need to know before mm. leaving for a foreign mm. country. And I think that's, you know, the basics. You don't have to do much, mm. but just to be aware. What to you have that do. discussion with your partner. What if, you know, what if one of us doesn't like it? What if one of us wants to go home? You know, what if one of the children gets sick and needs specialist medical care back in the home country? What if one of the grandparents is ill? You mm. know, just discussing what you would do is so important before you go. I mean, it's 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 a shame that there isn't a prenup for moving abroad, really. <laughs> um, Pre-emigration agreement. We were trying to get something like that off the ground, but it's very... Yeah, it's it's you know it's a bit like a prenup in a way, but probably worse, worse in terms of you can't. It's not watertight in any way, and you know you might take it to court and it not be upheld. But maybe it's you know a good idea just to have something like that, even though it's not legally binding, just to make people think. Yeah, but I know from experience that there are some countries where people are more wary. You know, when they know they're going to move to some. Okay. You know, Saudi Arabia or... yeah. 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 Because they, you know, they've heard things or they're not sure. So they will be more willing to get information. But places like Southeast Asia or they just think, oh, it's just going to be sunny and good food and beaches. Mm. And they don't think about what could go wrong. Often uh, you have to be wary if your spouse comes from a country which has not ratified the convention. Because mm. that's something that you really have to be to know about because otherwise you might not be able to get your children back if you let them go on a holiday. Then. Yes, absolutely. Another... Yeah, and I, I really think the government needs to do more as well to let people know before they go because they do have information on their website, the yeah. Foreign and Commonwealth Office in you know Britain, but they don't really mention this, unfortunately. So it's, you know, we have talked to them. Haven't got very far. They did add something a couple of years ago, and I've noticed recently they've removed it again. Oh, no. So they're not oh, no. telling British citizens about this this law and how it can affect, you know, expats as, as they move abroad, which is ridiculous. So, so yeah. in terms of prevention, we, we talked about prevention. What can you say to family wanting to move abroad? 
to have a message yeah, you know, yeah well just know, know before you go is our our phrase that we use know before you go and um, have those, those difficult conversations a bit like maybe before you get married you know what are you going to do if this happens if that happens and you can go to a solicitor and, and sign something a bit like a prenup it might mm-hmm. not be legally binding but it's worth doing so that everyone is 100% clear about you know whether they're able to come home again with the children because a lot of parents once they realize actually might not be able to come home again maybe they're going to think again about moving abroad Um, so that's the ideal situation yes so prevention is key and being informed and know uh yes And, and if someone chooses to go back home with their children what 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 are the risks then involved so if a parent takes the child without permission from the other parent or without permission without from permission. the local family court, then the, the other parent can apply to use the Hague Convention on International Parental Child Abduction to get the child returned to that country where they were living. Um, so then the parent um, who's taken the, the child um, would receive notice from the court that they would be in court fairly quickly um, within a couple of weeks. Um, and they would need to find a lawyer to try to represent them, which is very expensive. Um, they'd be paying over £10,000 for a lawyer. Um, the other party gets it for free. They get automatic uh, legal aid. Uh, but the taking parent doesn't. They must apply for a means test. So then they would be in England anyway. They would be heard in the High Court in London. And they would have um, three days, two-day hearing with a pre-hearing. And Usually the judge would then order the return of the children unless they can satisfy some very narrow um, reasons why they shouldn't return the, the, the child. There are very limited exceptions to returning the child. Most of the time the child is returned. Yes. The children are returned. Absolutely. And the mother has that choice whether she returns with the child or not. Yes. It's the child that's being returned, not the taking parent. So when we talk about, you know, issues that those parents face, that's when you were talking about um, the fact that some mothers sometimes cannot go back because for uh, visa issues, they may not be able to go back to the country. And then they face separation from their children. And I remember you talking about a case where a child lost touch with the mother for a certain number of years. Mm. Yeah, it's very sad and very, very sad when that happens. So sometimes the mother feels that she cannot return with the child and that can be for a number of reasons. It can be connected to visa problems. You know, she might not have permission to work or live in the other country. She might have been on a what they call a spousal visa, which once they get divorced, she's now not got her spousal visa. So she can maybe go back temporarily on a visitor's visa. And that commonly happens in the US, Australia or New Zealand, those places that have those kind types of visas. I think it might also happen in Asia as well sometimes. Yeah, it would happen in Hong Kong. Yes, exactly. So so that's, you know, a huge barrier for her going back. She might be able to go back temporarily, but maybe not long term. And the second thing can be financial problems. Sometimes the mum just doesn't have financial means to live in a, in a foreign country, essentially. She can't get a job and she might not be eligible for benefits, social security. And um, so that's another barrier. The other one 
commonly is mental health. If she has suffered domestic abuse and trauma from the domestic abuse or whatever, she can be too feeling too traumatised and unsafe in a country that is foreign to her, away from her support network, friends and family. And um, so all of those issues can mean that mum doesn't go back with the child. And this obviously presents quite a big safeguarding risk for the child as well, because the child is going back alone, essentially, to a parent who may have been violent towards the mother. And, you know, there's no sort of linking up with the courts in the two countries. So there isn't necessarily a court date set out in in the other country on the child's when the child gets back. And the social services and things like that are also not linked up very well. There may be some links, but there isn't a brilliant system there. You know, you would have thought that international social services would have it linked up very well, but actually the systems are not really in place. Well, they need to work well in a country first before they're able to (laughs) communicate between them. You know, so, so for that child returning alone... The worry is, are they safe? Where are they living? What What's going on? So, yeah. So in that case that I was chatting um, to you, Sarah, about previous to the call, there was a little girl, five years old, who was returned to Australia without her mum. And dad didn't have the internet in the house. So it was very difficult for mum and daughter to stay in, in touch. But they did stay more or less in touch the whole time. And then the daughter would phone mum when she was at school when because the, the school obviously had internet very sad and unfortunately I mean this was over 10 years ago and when this happened she was returned over the last couple of months she'd been in contact with mum and actually disclosed abuse um, from her father and then was in touch with police and social services and they did arrange for the daughter to come back with with mum um, to the UK but obviously that child has suffered She's been in Australia without support for almost 10 years. So she's back in the UK now, back at school. It's kind of a happy ending, but I feel like there should have been better safeguards. So what what you're saying, sorry, Sarah Jane, what what you're saying is that once that happened, that the mum, they go back to her home country and can't go back with the child, doesn't have a visa, the help she can get is very limited. what what happens then, or what? How do you you know uh, make sure that she's re- reunited with the, the child? Or there's very little, I would say, um, very little support. Once mum is not returned, it's difficult to start a court proceeding in a foreign country. I, I don't know if you'd agree with that, Sarah, unless you're actually living in that country. Yeah. Well, you need to have the support there. Of course, you can because it's in the interest of the child. But sometimes you don't know who to turn to. So it's impossible. I mean, to get the child to be returned, you'd have to you'd have to go through the family court in that country. And unless you're living in that country, it's very, very difficult to do that. Um, And also there would be like a precedent that you're not taking care of the child. So what I mean, so you're not there. You're not there. So you don't have that contact time with the child set up. So most courts always want to continue, don't they, with a similar thing. So, yeah, very, very, very tricky. I know. I think, you know, you can apply for, for contact. We don't really deal with that as Global Arc. Um, you can apply for contact internationally. But to get the child to be returned, 
it's very, very, very tricky once the child and the parent are separated. Okay. Oh, that's uh, that's really hard to hear, actually, that nothing can be done and not much can be done. Yeah. I mean, it's that is the worst. It's the absolute yeah. worst part of my job because it's so heartbreaking and there's so little that you can actually do. So we do try to provide that support to mums so that they feel able to return to the country with their child because they then usually can sort out their problems in that country. So, you know, we could link up with refuge, um, for example, so that the mum can go back and live in a domestic violence refuge and get local legal support sorted so that she has a good lawyer on her side and so she can fight for the child in that country where she was uh, living and protection orders as well. Um, Because if you've got violent father um you know obviously you can usually in most countries will offer some sort of protective orders but they need to be ratified in that country so that they're enforceable with the police in that country we've been talking a lot about mothers but i wanted to reassure fathers also that global art does support parents and i think that's something that really comes through when you read everything on your website is that you support both mothers and fathers yeah we do support fathers and um, and increasingly more and more fathers are getting in contact which is great because i do feel that they're a minority within a minority and i think that is double hard for stuck fathers actually and um, because that feeling of loneliness and isolation and maybe not having the financial means to sort of be in that foreign country that can be really really awful for fathers the majority, I mean, it's it's like one, they are like 1% of the people that get in contact with us. That's just, I think it's just the way it is, I guess. Most In most yeah. families, unfortunately, we still live in this society where most fathers are the breadwinner and they've gone abroad to get a job. So then, this is changing, but yeah. traditionally anyway, fathers tend to think they don't have any rights, no, wrongly. They just think, well, we won't believe me, or mm. they always prefer to give the children to the mothers, things like that. So I guess mm. if they're in a situation where the mother has left with the children, sometimes they won't do anything about it because mm. they will feel, or like, as you say, they must, might be stuck in a country and won't want to do anything about it because they'll feel that nobody will support their cause. Yeah. Absolutely. And it can be just as hard for men, fathers stuck in a foreign country as as mothers, of course, just as hard. And and, and, and I, yeah, I do that. So it's great. It's great. We, we welcome stuck dads in the in the groups. So yeah, do come forward if you're a stuck dad. That's very important to know. Yes, I just have one more question before we, we finish, uh, Rose. It's, we mentioned a lot domestic abuse. And yeah. I was wondering... Does that mean that in most cases, when one spouse refuses, doesn't give permission for, uh, let's say, the mother to return to the home country, is it because most cases are about domestic violence or what's your take on that? I mean, yeah, I mean, the majority, I mean, if you think something like 90% of the, the cases that come to us, the mothers are reporting having experienced domestic abuse. And so, um, yeah, she certainly would feel that the father saying, no, you can't go back to your home country is an extension of that control 
and that abuse. Mm. It makes sense, doesn't it, that that they're saying, you know, no, you're not allowed to go home. That's, uh, mm. but of course, that's you know within their rights in the within the law to say no, the children live here. Um, so it is complicated, but there's an extremely high domestic abuse issue within this uh, this, this problem. Um, something we didn't talk about is um, how do uh, I mean you did did touch upon how you work, but who do you work with? Because I think, as you mentioned, a lot of you need to rely on other professionals in all the various countries. So um, how can people help? If if, yeah. if you have we have professionals listening, can they reach out? And yeah, absolutely. So if you work, um, you know, as an international family lawyer anywhere in the world, please do get in touch because we have our international family law network. And um, so we would put your firm onto our website, and we would also make referrals. And um, when parents ask us for help in whatever country they're in, uh, we can refer. And they all offer a free initial consultation. And some of them will do a pro bono work if it's, you know, an emergency. <laughs> so they're very kind. And without the, this network of, of lawyers, um, you know, parents would not be getting the support, the legal advice that they need. We also have um, a list of sort of charities and other organisations that support these types of parents with, you know, for example, domestic abuse or financial problems or visa issues around the world. So if there's an organisation doing something like that, please, again, get in contact with us. Yes, our network is extremely important and um, it's really brilliant to work with such amazing giving people around the world. Yeah, and it, the more people work together, the more you will be uh, able to help people stuck in those various countries. Audrey, well, yes, have... I think uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. we could go on yes, for hours. On. Maybe... <laughs> people might not listen for hours, though. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, I, I just want you to, um, Roz, if you could just um, to summarize, who can you help? just so that people are clear yeah. who can contact you. And I mean, maybe people should contact you and maybe you could refer to other people if you're not the one that can help them. But Absolutely. basically. Yeah. So get in touch if you're thinking of moving abroad with your family or if you're thinking of moving abroad and then having a family, <laughs> get in yeah. touch because mm -hmm. we can give you that information and advice about know before you go. If you have already moved abroad and your relationship is breaking down, or has broken down and you want to go back to your home country with your children, um, but perhaps your the other parent does not want to, get in touch because we can give you information and contacts um about you know your next your next moves, as it were. Okay. okay. Thank you so much, Rose. I think we we're coming to the end of the podcast. Maybe um one last little advice you could give if, if there would be one uh, we, we we touched upon this but uh one one advice that would make a difference what 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 would it be no before you go <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one <laughs> thank you thank you so much thank uh, you. Ross, for for coming on the podcast today um it was really, I think, important to have you and being informed of, of what you do. I, I wasn't aware of, of your charity and it's a real pleasure to, to know about it and to be able to refer you to, to, my, to my clients as well. 
in terms of you know the resources they can use, the support, um, and when they're going through such a you know difficult time abroad uh, during a separation or a divorce. We will, of course, put all your information of Global Arc on the podcast note uh, so that anyone can reach out, parents or professionals can, can contact you and, and, and offer their help or, or get help. Um, Fantastic. So, yes. Thank you. Thank you, Thank so, you much. so much. It's a pleasure to talk to you both. Thank you, Roz, for your time. Thank you so much for listening. If you have found this podcast useful, please share, like, and comment hashtag divorce and help spread the information around you if you think it may be useful to others. If you would like us to deal with one issue in particular, or if you would like to participate to our podcast, please don't hesitate to contact us. You can find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram by searching Audrey Zetun or Sarah Jane Taster. It would be great to hear from you. See you soon for another episode of Hashtag Divorce.